Welcome to the podcast that explores eudaimonia. Euda what? Eudaimonia is the pursuit of well-being based on our individual needs, which I love because we are all unique and therefore our pursuit of wellness should be unique too. I'm a big fan of individualized, personalized care. There's no one size fits all. I'm your host, Emily Geiser. I'm a nature-loving, spiritually curious health and life coach who rarely runs out of questions, so I decided to host an interview-style podcast so that I can ask all the questions that I want. Each week, we'll dive into topics of personal development, nutrition, spirituality, mental health, and well-being with guests who generously share their tools and expertise. If you enjoy what you hear, please be sure to follow on Apple or subscribe on Spotify. It helps the podcast and you'll be alerted each week when a new episode drops. Let's dive in. Today, we have Casey Kang head with us. She is a three-time survivor of acute lymphoblastic leukemia and a stroke survivor. Casey is now a cancer coach who teaches survivors how to reclaim their life and learn how to live differently to ensure they are stronger physically, mentally, and emotionally so they don't live life in fear. Casey is the author of Finding Your Way Back to Heart Center, Cancer Treatment Ended, Now What? She's also a personal trainer, trainer, a yoga instructor, and certified in so many things like oncology certified for yoga, yoga for trauma, and cancer exercise specialist. The list goes on. Whether from experience or training, I would say Casey is an expert, and I feel really lucky to have her here. I just saw on her website, I think it was her website, or maybe it was social media. She says, I planned my funeral cleaned out my closet, and enjoyed Christmas as if it was my last. And today, Casey is here feeling healthier and better than ever. So like, wow, I have chills just reading that and um, really excited to meet you and talk to you and learn from you. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it was it was quite the experience for five years straight, basically, of, of fighting and not knowing the outcome, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And you were really sick, as I've seen just on some of your pictures. One thing I'll just highlight here, because the visual was really striking, is, you know, Casey's very fit and strong now and prioritizes working out, not to speak on your behalf, but I think I can say that safely. Yes. Yeah. And she has a picture posted to herself at one point, just lifting an empty spoon as her initial exercise and rehabilitation. So a lot has transpired when you talk about like that was five years. I think we can kind of gloss over what that actually looks like if we haven't, especially if we haven't been impacted personally, you know? Yeah. Yes. And having the stroke was definitely not something I prepared myself for in any, not that you can, but it definitely puts you into a different mode of operation where that lifting of a spoon was the most physically intense exercise that day and I wow. didn't do it long and I, it was just like excruciating to do. How and long ago was that? So that happened in 2014, four months into my treatment. So it was it was very scary. They put me into a medically induced coma for three days and you know my husband will tell you at the time there was a priest that was sent to the ICU just to like console my family and it was, and I woke up not being able to use half my body. And that was scary. And going, what just happened? And you're awake and you're 
coming to these realizations, but you're not really understanding because your brain cognition is a little bit funky, to say the least. And so you're just kind of like there, you're existing because I couldn't move. And you're just like, your eyes are moving. And you're like, hey, I feel helpless. Like it was the most humbling experience I have ever had in my life to revert back to having to rely on everyone for everything. Like I couldn't even sit up on my own without help. And to provide some context, you said that life before cancer was joyful, busy. You were, tell us a little bit about that, because I think when we hear stories, we kind of like pin people in this like one place, you know, and I actually would like you to talk us through like you just did a little bit of your during cancer, but you said there's kind of like three parts to your life at this point, life before cancer, life during cancer, and now post-treatment. And reading about your post-treatment was, I just felt really naive about cancer to hear what that process has been like for you. And so I'm looking forward to hearing about all this, but will you just say a few words about life before cancer? Yeah, I mean, I was I was diagnosed when I was 31. So I was in the midst of I had just been married for, I think, two years ish. I thought I was doing all the right things. Like I was at my quote unquote healthiest and I was in a corporate job and I worked a lot, like 50 hours a week, did a two hour daily commute. But I still felt like I was living a great life <laughs> considering because that was the goal. Like it was to be <laughs> successful, to have the the white picket fence, the dream, the all the things, right? Oh, yeah. And then it felt like out of nowhere, this happened and completely derailed life as, mm -hmm. as they say. And you're right. It is my life before cancer, during cancer, and after cancer are nothing like the other. Amazing. So it is a little bit like living three different lives already. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because all the dreams that I had before cancer are not going to be fulfilled. Like, you know, having a family is very different now. Like, I'm unable to have children because of cancer. So that dream was crushed immediately. I didn't have time to have egg preservation. Sorry. Because as a woman, you need to go through a full cycle. I didn't have 30 days. They started my treatment before we had confirmation of, of what was wrong with me. So because they were 99.9% .9 sure. <laughs> needed a bone marrow biopsy to confirm it fully. But they knew. And so I didn't have that. You know, I don't work in corporate America anymore. I don't do a two-hour two daily commute. You know, everything about what I thought my life was going to look like is completely different. I don't even live in the same city anymore. It's, it's just so, it's night and day. It's night and day. You had said that life during cancer, like your commitment was to not dying. Yeah, literally. Like my focus on every day, like what can I do? to help my team. And I say team because my oncologists were doing everything that they could to kill the cancer. So how could I have participated? I woke up every day. I showered. I walked for 20 minutes. I ate the best that I could. Even when I didn't want to eat, I knew I had to. I mentally just put horse blinders on and did the things. I tried to stay off Google <laughs> as much mm -hmm. as I could to help with my team. Because if they're doing the best that they can. I have to be able to participate in that too. Like, I can't just sit back and go, yeah, but I'm not going to do my job. Yeah. You know? So life becomes very small at that point during cancer. And you basically shut out all the noise and you focus. And that was literally every day was like, 
what can I do to not die? I know it sounds crazy and I laugh at it, but that was like literally the mindset. What can I do every day? I showed up for every appointment. Everything they asked me to do, I did above and beyond. And even during rehab, when I, it was, it was, after I got off that, out of the hospital, I had eight weeks, five days straight, three hours every single day while still going through chemotherapy of rehab. And I showed up and I did everything that I could. And even afterward, when I got, when I got home, because my biggest thing was like, if I can, I go back to work, like I need to be able to use my left hand and that means typing. Well, my fingers were the last thing to like really come back to life, so to speak. And so every day for another two hours on my own, I'd be literally on those like children's learning how to type pages, just the fox is brown or whatever. <laughs> every day, just I'm like, it's going to work at some point. It's going to like it just it, it got to click. It's got it. And I just head down and was like, it's going to happen. Did you have that sense of grit and resilience every day? Like, were there days that you didn't feel that? And it sounds like you like mastered your mindset. Yeah, I mean, there were definitely days where I was just like, this is hard and this sucks. And I broke down and cried and, you know, all those things. And yeah, I could have felt sorry for myself, but there was something inside of me that was like that doing that doesn't help you succeed at what you need to do, which is walking and building back strength and knowing like all these things that you can do so you focus on like for me I could just head down and go what are the boxes that I need to check today and I'm going to check them all Mm -hmm. like how I had to operate like if I need to go to rehab we're doing rehab we're walking we're doing this we're eating we're we're then then it's time for us like my reward was always tv like not walker And I was like, if I can accomplish all of these things, then you can sit and rip back and watch Law and Order and do all the things. But I wouldn't let myself because I was like, it's a slippery slope. Like one day it's one hour in front of the on the couch and you don't get up and then it slides into two and three. And then pretty soon you're just not getting out of bed. And I couldn't. I knew what it was like for the three days that I couldn't physically get out of bed and the time that I had during my stroke where I couldn't do all the things. And I just was like, I'm not going back there. Yeah. I'm not going back there. Because I know how helpless I was and how humbling that was and how soul sacrificing it was to go, I'm hungry or I'm thirsty and have to ask someone to help. That's not going, we're not going back. And now you help people through the process in the same way that you were able to help yourself through the process? 100%. Because, you know, you're, you're really supported during treatment. The medical team is. You're, you're seeing them multiple times a week. Sometimes I was seeing them because of my treatment protocol four or five times a week for like months for years. And then to go, go live life. It was like, what does that even mean? That's what I struggled with. That's I, I, I basically like had a nervous breakdown and I was like, I don't know what that means anymore. Like I mentally couldn't wrap my head. Yeah. It's so then what? Did you have a cancer coach that helped guide you or how did you move at that point? How did you move forward? I just think it says so much about the human will to live and your own determination that's really remarkable and why you're sitting here like with this beaming smile today. So I'm curious about that. I didn't. Unfortunately, I wish I had. I would have I would have given them all the money in the world. But I one night came home from work, dropped my bag on the floor and just 
crumble to the ground and start crying. My husband was like at the time, like, oh, my God, what happened at work? Like he thought something happened. Right. And I was like, no, I was like, I'm not okay. I'm so far from okay. It's like I was kept telling people I was okay. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, you should be grateful you're alive. All these things, which I was grateful to be alive. But I was struggling every single day to wake up and to get out of bed and to do the things that normal people do. And I was like, how is this happening? Mm-hmm. I have that during cancer. Now I, I do. Like, I just I couldn't understand it. And that night, because he didn't know what to do, he called my dad and my mother-in-law came over. And I was beyond embarrassed isn't even the right word. It's like I was ashamed of how I felt. Mm-hmm. Didn't under, like I couldn't figure it out. And that night, as I was crying face down in a pillow in front of my dad, and he's like, it's going to be okay. It's fine. I was like, it's not going to be fine. It's not okay. And quite frankly, I probably should have had medical intervention at that point, but I didn't know what I didn't know. And I just decided in my head, something clicked inside. And I was like, you're going to figure this out because there's only two ways out of this. You either figure it out or you're not figuring it and you're going to die. And in my head, I was like, we're not dying. So I just got up the next day and I just Googled everything that I could. I read every self-help book I could get my hands on. I started researching, talking to experts. I went into intensive therapy. I went on a healing retreat that I really honestly couldn't afford and put on a credit card. And I was like, I'll figure it out because I just, I needed all the things and so much more. And I didn't know what it was that was going to help me. But I was like, if I don't even try, like, I'll never figure it out. What was it? It was everything like I I could say I figured out the physical part pretty quickly, but it was like the mental and emotional part of everything. The ways in which I learned how to cope as a child to get through life were not working anymore. It's like everything just broke at the same time. And I was like, I have to learn new coping skills. I have to understand like my nervous system is so dysregulated after five years how do how do I do that how do I breathe again right like I wish it were one thing that I did but it was there were so many things that I had done along the way to get me back to feeling like a human but the one thing I keep hearing is that you kept showing up for yourself Are you ready to transform your life and finally bridge the gap between knowing what you should do to doing what you should do? Look no further. Today I'm introducing Wellevate, the ultimate wellness program to elevate your well-being. Can you relate to this being overloaded with health advice, but it's all sitting on the sidelines gathering dust? or being overwhelmed by the constant barrage of conflicting information, maybe feeling too tired to add another task to your daily routine, it is time for a change. Join Wellevate and embark on a transformative journey. As a Wellevate member, you'll receive a message every week via Voxer, a user-friendly app on your phone. It's, It's like having a personal coach right in your pocket. You'll get a weekly dose of holistic health covering nutrition, gut health, movement routines, stress management, nervous system regulation, hormonal balance, improving your sleep, creating a short and powerful morning routine, and so much more. The benefits may astound you. Say goodbye to the overwhelm of information and hello to daily doable actions. I'll help you reduce your mental load and together we'll build daily habits in a slow, sustainable way. Make Wellevate your wellness companion, your path to transformation. Don't miss out. 
subscribe to Wellevate today. You can sign up at the links in the show notes or at emilygeiser.com backslash membership and elevate your well-being. Yeah, I did the work and I still do the work today. Like six years later, I'm still doing the work for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I still meditate. I still sit in, in awareness of my body and what am I breathing? Are we breathing today? What's going on in your body? Like there's a lot of like chronic pain I manage. So, you know, how is your body feeling today versus yesterday? Is there anything that you did differently? Like I analyze myself to a a probably exhausting degree sometimes because I want to know like, what did I do yesterday that it didn't impact my hip in the same way? And so like, you know, I use myself as an experiment, but it is the work didn't end, end for me when I figured it out. I just kept and you kept showing up. Yeah. That is the hard part. Yeah. It really is because there are so many times where even my family and and friends would, would have given me like the pass to go, well, you went through cancer. It's okay. And that's what they said to me at the beginning. And I was like, that's not an excuse for me to treat you like shit because that's mm-hmm. what I was doing. I didn't even realize it because I was so in my trauma response still. Yeah. The question of what do you want for dinner would I would just bite someone's head off. And I was like, that's not an excuse for me to treat you that way and to behave the way that I do. And so I just knew if I didn't figure it out, I would have no friends, no family, and my marriage would break. Yeah. So even when you're in this like absolute trauma, you're still growing and evolving and changing as a person. Oh, 100%. And I think I did a lot of journaling in that time to help me understand what was happening. And I'm so grateful to that because it helped me go, wow, you were being an a-hole. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you should do something differently mm-hmm. or you keep biting Anthony's, Anthony's my husband. Head, why do you keep biting Anthony's head off? Like, why do you, why did you just yell at your dad for no reason? <laughs> like the people who supported me and loved me. And I was just cruel and I couldn't figure out why. And that was also like, I don't want to be a cruel person and I didn't want it to be changed forever. Yeah. And I didn't want to exist in that manner anymore. So I know you now work with a lot of people who have cancer and I'm curious, like, what is, is there a consistent piece of advice that you give to everybody? There's a lot. Like, I think those that are going through treatment is never lose hope because you literally do not know what's going to come out that's going to save your life. Like, I figured out when right before we had to write a letter of compassion to the FDA and the drug manufacturer for the immunotherapy that was not approved at the time, now is, that I just needed to be alive for the next thing to come out for the next thing. So if I can physically, mentally, and emotionally just do those those things every single day, that's it. That's all I need to do because they'll come out with something and something else and something else and something else. And we're not giving up until there's nothing else. And there's so hope can be the most powerful drug in the entire world. And then my advice for anybody who has survived and they don't feel like themselves is there's no amount of money worth not feeling like you're living life to exist. You didn't fight that hard to exist. So start before you're ready. There's never a perfect time. And if you have to do it over 900 times, 
keep going with whatever it is. Yeah. And if if it if what you're doing is not working, maybe it's time to try something else. Right? Like I don't look at it as like we we failed. It's like that just didn't work. What else can I do? Because there were so many things that I tried that didn't work out and actually like probably hindered a lot of progress. And I just was like, okay, that didn't work. I wasn't mad. I wasn't upset. I was just like, what's the next thing? Is this during your treatment or post-treatment that you're referring to? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Post-treatment. It was just like, okay, that book didn't help. But I wasn't mad at the book. I was just like, okay, next book. Like that piece of research didn't, didn't do anything. Okay, well, there's a million pieces of research or research and courses and programs that you can do. What what else can I do? Right. Like I just I just kept searching for answers. What do you feel like has been most helpful for you? Is it your movement practice or your meditation or your diet? Like where do you feel like you've made the biggest shift? I would say for me, exercise has always been more mental therapy for me. But I will say the hardest thing that I that I started doing, and it wasn't until after I finished treatment, was meditation. By far the most challenging, but I still to this day do it every single day for at least five minutes every day. And I used to do it a lot more, and sometimes I do come back to it. But it is one of the things that it's the hardest to start doing, and it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> it's so painful, and it can seem like it's not working, but it is. Yeah, the power is so, it's like silent, right? And powerful. I was talking with a a doctor this morning. I was interviewing her for this podcast. And she said, if she could just bring one thing to like an island, you know, it would be meditate, like it would just be herself and meditation as a tool. Like that's, if she could just have one thing that she relies on, it's that. Yeah, because if you think about like all the resources we have are outside of us, but the one thing that we have inside of us is our head, right? And we spend every day with it, 365 days a year. Wow. And if it's not giving you the messages or the thoughts or the feelings that you're looking for, you know, we have to change that conversation. Well, how do you change the conversation? Well, you have to sit and 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 be with yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's so uncomfortable for people. So uncomfortable. Yes. I think that's why we stay so busy in, all, in our culture is to avoid that. Right. It's to avoid the feelings and the thoughts that we think. And it's like that little bit of awareness is just, it can change everything. It can give you so much clarity on just even what's, what's happening in here. And I say here, brain, your brain. Yes. I know you said you've lived these three different lives, but do you feel like you're a fundamentally different person than before cancer? And I'm just curious, also in a marriage, if you're like a completely different, you know, you're newly married and you go through a transformational experience, both of you in very different ways, to come out on the other side, possibly as a different person, I imagine is a whole new component too. It's a great question because fundamentally, I feel like I am a different person and it's almost like I had to become a different person. I always tell people there's a lot of unlearning with cancer. Like I couldn't be that same person going forward because the system was broken, right? Like all the coping mechanisms, all the thoughts that I was, that I wanted, the dreams that I had were gone. So it's like I had to almost become someone different. I would say it's like you have to up level yourself to feel normal again. Yeah. The shift and transformation that I went through is drastically different. Like I'm so much more compassionate 
I actually like express a lot more emotions. Whereas like I grew up in a family where you didn't talk about it. It happened. You didn't talk about it. You stuffed it down and that was it. Yeah. You know, you just emotions weren't a thing. You know, I allow those things into my life. Whereas before, I think I would have just ignored it and I couldn't ignore what I was feeling anymore. The autopilot was like, we're not starting today. So figure it out, Mm -hmm. you know, and in relationships that changes too, because the friends that I used to have, we're still friends, but the friendship is different and the marriage is different, right? Like everything kind of evolves with it or doesn't, you know, I've had a lot of friends that are just like, we don't have a lot of in common anymore. The things that you you do are so drastically different than what I I'm into now. And so like I would say everything changes and the your real friends will honor you for those changes and still want to be your friend, but it it will change. And then you'll pick up new friends. And it's, you know, I always say like the people that I've met through cancer are some of the most incredible, amazing people that I've ever met in my life. And we're all part of this club that none of us wanted to join. It's amazing that there's community in there. Everybody's had a similar enough of experience that you can kind of meet each other without a lot of words to understand what that is. Yeah. Like all these words you're giving me, you don't necessarily have to give to them, right? Right. And that's the funny thing. Like I I do a group coaching program and a lot of the women are like, I don't even know what type of cancer you have. Uh Because it doesn't matter. Like it does matter, but it doesn't matter in regards to like how you feel about it and the mindset that you need to get through it. I was interested in reading how you said that after cancer, I think you said something like one of the hardest things was having the confidence that you could rebuild. You could rebuild. Like, I think your health is what you were referring to the way you needed to. And was that just learning and reading and then showing up each day and doing the things? Is that how you developed the confidence was seeing yourself show up for yourself? Honestly, the one thing that I did that really helped me build confidence because you start with cancer, you question everything. You're like, how did I know I wasn't sick? How did I not realize like what was going on inside of my body? And you start to doubt yourself because of chemo brain and trauma brain and all these things that you endure. So you start to question your ability. The one thing that really helped me was like, I, I developed a mantra for my mind, was, which was, you, you are smart and you can learn new things that are hard. So I just kept repeating it. And I'm like, You're, you can learn new things. You can learn new things. Okay. It might take longer, but I can learn it. But I will say I started strength training, like getting way more intense at first for literal physical strength. Mm-hmm. And like my confidence shot up to go like, oh, wow, I went from the two pound weights to the 10 pound weights. And that's instantly strong at that time it was, you know, and now it's it's evolved still. But like knowing that my body could do that was like a huge boost in how I felt about myself. You just have to keep seeing the proof, like looking for the looking for the evidence that you are getting stronger, right? Right. And it is like you just you you just have to keep reminding yourself of how far you're, you've been going. I always say like I moved on and I'm past it, but I do reflect on how far I've gone, you know? It's it's important to know that you're making progress, whether it feels like it or not. Yes, absolutely. This podcast is really, my mission with this podcast is so that women can feel agency in their health and well-being. 
and you're the first cancer-focused conversation. I'm curious what your advice would be, whether somebody has cancer or they don't have cancer, in just a piece of wisdom around agency, because I feel like that's something that you are really tapped into. Yeah, I mean, number one, prioritize your health. Like exercise, nutrition, you've got to stop sacrificing yourself for anything else. Like it's so, we know how important it is, but it becomes extremely important when you are diagnosed with a serious illness. And it's the one thing that can save you a lot of time and money in the long run. You know, cancer is very expensive and the nominal amount that you pay yourself back with to proactively hopefully prevent something like that, it, it, it's tenfold. And as a byproduct, you're going to feel better, right? So all these things start to happen. But I would say also, like, as women, it's not selfish to practice self-care. It is not. And, and that means having hard conversations with partners and friends and saying, like, I'm prioritizing this. And either you're going to help me be healthy or maybe there's a different conversation that needs to happen. Yeah. Have you worked with women where they're kind of up against that, where they're not having the support they need and those are the conversations they're moving into? Yeah. It's very uncomfortable because these women sometimes for the first time ever are having to advocate for themselves and Mm say actual time. And that means you're going to have to pick up some slack maybe with household things or the children. And one of the better conversations is like, can we do it together? Right? Like if I'm on this health kick lifestyle, I don't think kick because it's like you either choose to be healthy or not. Yeah. Like, not quite temporary like that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I've had a lot of women that I'm like, okay, well, can they do it with you? And they see the transformation in themselves as well and how they feel. Because if they feel better doing it as well, they're going to want you to do it and them to do it. And then everyone's on board, right? And then I'm like, I always say, like, your kids need to see you doing this, whether it's you or your husband or both of you guys, because that's how they learn. They model behavior. They do not model words. Like, if they see you doing it, they're going to go, oh, well, my mom, I grew up with my mom and my dad doing it. So I just did it. We don't think it's not normal. That's right. And so like the, it's like having like a mindset shift of like, first I do it with the women. And then it's like whole family conversations of like together, like they're all going to be healthier. Even if that means your kids are exercising with you, like they should be, they should be active. They should be doing things that support not just their brains, but their bodies. Yes. Awesome. I want to ask you about your morning routine. But before I do, I think there was a program that you had too, right? Do you want to say something about that? So I have a 13-week survivorship program. It's uh, a happier, healthier you. And this is what we do together in community. And it really, in 13 weeks, can change a lot. If you're feeling like you're stuck or you're overwhelmed or you just don't know what to do, like this is the program that you need. Because it can absolutely change your life. Awesome. I'll put a link to, uh, to that in the show notes. Casey, tell me about your morning routine. Do you have one? Does it matter to you? Oh, no, I definitely have one. And it, it's kind of getting a little bit out of control. So I need to like reassess it. But so I get up, I journal, I eat breakfast, and I then meditate for five minutes. 
I go to the gym and then I have to walk my dog. So that's like the basics of the morning routine. You know, if I have time, then I will sit in my infrared sauna to manage my chronic hip pain. Sometimes I do yoga in addition, more for the stretching factor, but it's only if I have time, time permitting. But it, if I can exercise and journal, those are like the big things that are non-negotiable in my life. I love it. Same with me. It's, those are journaling is brilliant. It's such a such a helpful tool. Oh my gosh, it's it it is it's so helpful to see like how my thoughts have evolved too. <laughs> like it's not that I go back and read all of my journals, but every now and again I'll go, "Woof, that was half." Yeah. So can I can we talk about journals for just a couple minutes and then I'll let right. you go? Um, I love talking about journaling. So. Cool. Me too. <laughs> um, I'm curious if you keep all of yours. So I, I have since cancer. So I, I used to journal in college in my 20s and even in my teens. The teen ones I do not have, unfortunately. I think I just didn't want to read them because they were probably so cringy. Mm-hmm. So I threw them away. I have some of my college ones and I have everything after cancer. So I don't know why I keep them, but I do. Do you keep yours? Well, I've gone through stages. I used to only get rid of them because I didn't I didn't do it to document anything. It was just processing. And then I've had like the past few years have been so full of growth that is kind of documented not in a clear way that I haven't felt ready to get rid of them. And also I don't go back and read them. So I'm not really sure. I think I'll probably end up burning them, but I Sometimes get a little panic, like, what if I need to like remember what happened back then? I think I'll probably let go of them. I'm not one to hold on to stuff. And they're not really meant as chronicling anything I'm trying to keep keep on with. Yeah, yeah I ask myself that, especially when I move. I'm like, why didn't we keep it? And I, the answer is, I don't know. But something about, about it, I can't let go. It's so weird. And so I, I don't look back at them often. Because they're cringy, I think. I don't know. They might not be. I have no idea. But yeah, I don't know why I can't let go of them either. So I'd be curious if you do something with them, if it's if it becomes another book, like the what a interesting memoir, I think. Well, boy, it probably look like a crazy person's brain. No, that's that's how Um, we all feel about what we write down, right? Right. Like, wow, somebody read this. They think I was nuts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I think at some point I will let them go. It's just a matter of like when I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling done with that time. Right. Right. So thank you for sharing your journey here, parts of your journey here with us. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate you and the time with you. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm glad you stuck around for the end of another episode. Please share it with a friend and follow and review if you want to hear more conversations like this. If you'd like to bridge the gap between knowing and doing, I have a free download at my website for making healthy habits in just five minutes a day. While you're there, check out my group and private coaching options. Boxer coaching is a great way for busy people to make getting healthy easier. Learn more about my coaching options and check out my wellness shop at my website, emilygeiser.com. You can connect with me directly on Instagram at Emily Geiser. Links from the show notes. I'll be back next week and hope you will be too. Until then, think good thoughts and go for them.